Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to 11 Pieces of Me, brought to you by Man in the Post. Um, this is a fun podcast where we have guests coming on to talk about their favourite players growing up. Not necessarily the best, as we've seen throughout the last few shows, um, but just their favourites. Um, ones that meant something to them growing up. Um, with us tonight, actually, I just got that, edit that out, sorry. <laughs> um, welcoming back my co-host once again, we have Ryan. Ryan, how are we doing? I'm good, how are you? Not too bad. It feels like you've not been on with me for about seven shows now. <laughs> Something like that, yes. Uh, yeah. My, my life has become very busy over the past like month and a half. And now I've put managers out as well, so you know my life's now even more busy. So we'll, this is the last we'll hear of Ryan for the next six weeks. And we'll, yeah, that's it. We'll be you then, Goodbye, everyone. Yeah, hopefully we get back to you on a regular basis because we have <laughs> had a little bit of a break. Joining us tonight... Is the second time he's come on my show for this, um, but we're since we're rejuvenating it, we're having him back on, Mr. Chris Etchenham. How are we doing, Chris? I'm very well. How are you, Ali? I feel your Ryan absence pain as well. He, he tends to let <laughs> me down as well. Yeah, it's just, well, well, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we're not picking him too much. Um, I feel it's going to be a rough show for him. Yeah, did you want me to stay or not? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Yeah. yeah. So, team already. Yep. Much change from the first one? Uh, 11 changes. Wow. I, I, I wish I kept the sheet so we could have went over the last one. Um, I but think I remember it. Do you want to reel it off quickly? If you can read it, yeah. Let's let everybody hear so they can see the changes that you've made. I had Neville Southall in goal. Uh, and then I had Tony Adams, Lothar Mateus, Sinisa Mihailovic, uh, uh, and I can't remember the other defender. Um, I then had Zidane, Maradona, John Barnes, um, Robbie Fowler, uh, God, one of the players I can't remember, and then Kevin Gallen. Kevin Gallen, that's right. That was the infamous <laughs> podcast. He also then followed us on Twitter and retweeted the show. I think that may be our most famous podcast we have. That, that was like... My life could have ended at that point. If I'd been hit by a bus today after Kevin Gallen followed us, I'd have been a very happy boy. That was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I think just a few weeks before we had Ross on and he had picked Mark Viduka. Um, so it was like, it was the, maybe the strangest three weeks of my life. <laughs> right, this is where well, your bit about not being the best but being the favourite comes in. Well, yeah, and I mean, as much as we take the mick at everybody for having him, it is, that is the point of it. I mean, it's it's good hearing us. I can't remember who came on the first show, but had like a, he was like a semi-professional player. He only had like three proper games for a professional team, but played lots for like the, the person's local team so he's seen him every week and 
like there was a funny story he said about hearing them talking to the fans, you know, because obviously the, the crowd was that little at the time. You could mm. actually hear full conversations and uh, it was just, I, can't, I wish I could remember the full story rather than butchering it, but so I'll leave it at that. But it was just, you know, that, this is the reason we created this show, for the, the fun random players rather than just the, you know, the superstars putting the team together on, on FIFA that you did when you were younger. So, we're, uh, let's take your formation first of all, Chris. I've gone 4 3 3. Classic. <laughs> right. And uh, obviously, you'll, you'll know you've got to have your captain, you know, the, the basic rules. Yeah. Um, so let's. You reminded me. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> you told me you had it, you <laughs> Right, well, let's take your goalkeeper. Okay, well, look, in homage to your man who was on the first show before, um, Neville Southall was the reason I became a goalkeeper, and he's my favourite goalkeeper, and I couldn't think of another one. But I have played with a couple of eccentric goalkeepers, and I have a little look through the rules, and I couldn't see anything to say that your goalkeeper had to be professional. So I'm going oh. with someone... I'm going to someone that you guys would never have heard of, obviously, but I played with him for about five years down here in Cornwall. He's a guy called Big Dave, who... Um, <laughs> who I used to play a Sunday night uh, and Wednesday night six-a-side league, and he would come and turn up in goal. Um, instead of having a water bottle in the corner of his goal, he would tend to have a bottle of cider, um, and he would turn up having consumed a few bottles of ciders beforehand as well. He'd have a huge temper, but as big as his temper was his heart, because he was a really, really nice guy, and he would, he would bollock me something rotten when I played in defence in front of him. But he was just the funniest man you could imagine. I played with a couple of eccentric goalkeepers. One guy had a habit of dislocating his finger and taking his gloves off and sticking it back in place mid-game. Uh, and the other guy was um, the other guy I played with was an Everton fan who used to know an old man called Tommy Rock. He used to sing in Flanagan's Bar in Liverpool, if anybody remembers him. Uh, Tommy would do Elvis songs, even though Tommy was well into his 80s back in the mid-90s. So. Uh, this other goalkeeper would sort of stand in goal doing Elvis songs and Elvis impersonations while the ball was down the other end of the pitch. And kind of Big Dave encapsulates all the mad, crazy, eccentric, amateur goalkeepers that I've had the fortune to play with over the years. And I couldn't think of a professional goalkeeper that I'd want to have instead of Neville Southall. You know, that was you would have had a really good opportunity there. And I've only just thought about it myself and I wish I would have done it. You could have put Justin in as your top I, goalie. Do you know what I thought about that? But I thought that'd embarrass him. <laughs> You'll have to tell him about this now and the next time he's on the pod. Yeah. Well, Ryan, big Dave. <laughs> big, big Dave. I've put apostrophes around the word big um, just because I assume that's how it works. He had a he, he had a real thick Cornish accent which was sort of um, soured over the years by too much alcohol and too many cigarettes. Okay, but... so I'm putting big Dave, thick Cornish accent. Good. That's going to really help differentiate. Uh, I, I, I don't know where to go from here, Ryan. Well, um, I mean, you see what happens when you, you come back. You guys have played with someone similar. We, in fairness, we, we did, yeah. Well, I, I certainly did. <laughs> we, um, I had a goalkeeper um, who we, I played with for years, and he, he was far too good for our level. Um, and he literally, would, when the ball wasn't near the goal, We'd get a chair and sit down with a cup of tea and biscuits, um, <laughs> and just dip them in. Um, I mean, but he was a, like like ridiculously good goalkeeper, but he just dropped down to our level for a couple of years. 
and we just sat at the side of the post having a cup of tea and biscuits and watching the game go by. <laughs> um, but I don't know about the whole cider and, and cigarettes part of it. Um, I'm not quite sure what level of football you played down there. I might come down because I could get a game now. Um, <laughs> You're probably not far wrong. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I don't know. This this podcast kind of take a turn for the worst. We're now, we're now going into local amateurs and... I mean, I thought your I thought your Kevin Gallon shout as well, but this is this is a whole new level, really. Yeah. It was good, it, it was good because what you had at this thing it was on Sunday night, so people that played um, uh, sort of Saturday league football or Sunday league football to a particular standard would turn up thinking they're Cristiano Ronaldo and they'd bear down on goal and Big Dave would come out and just clatter them into the middle next week. It was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well. Means nothing to anybody else, but we need to find a picture of Big Dave for the for the cover of the show. Yeah, that's that's going to be tough to uh, Big Dave. I'm going to type that into Google. I'm going to get some really dodgy results, so probably not going to do that. I played with him for five years. I couldn't tell he was surname. <laughs> Ryan, if it's yourself that's editing this and releasing it, please just replace it as eleven pieces of me, Big Dave. I don't want Chris's name mentioned. I just want it down as Big Dave. Big Dave. That's it. That's the title of the pod. Every pod from now on is Big Dave. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's let's get back to to reality, please, Chris. Um, uh, what have we got? Four, three, three. But give me your right back first. All right, my right back. Right, Ali. Have you got deck chair and cigars and a bit of reminiscing? Oh. I'm going Jamie Carragher. Slightly cheating, but slightly cheating. Why? Because he's a centre half. Hey, ah, Julio played him at fullback for years. Mm, right. Anyway, let's crack on with Jamie Carragher. I love Jamie Carragher. I mean, the moment he first came in, the team scored against Manchester United one week and then scored two own goals. The next time he made his appearance, I thought this is the guy for us. But I thought he was just fantastic. He just encapsulated everything about the sort of Liverpool spirit at the time. It wasn't. I don't think he was a spice boy. I think I think he sort of came in a bit after that. But he just proper no nonsense scally from the streets who made it good. I did read his book the other week and it was bloody awful. So I don't recommend you read that. But he was one of those homegrown players who everyone loves on their team. I, I can imagine he's a bit like Gary Neville. Mancunians like him because he's one of them. Um other players hate him because he's one of them. And I can imagine other fans feel the same about Jamie Carragher as we do about him. 100%. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, yeah, I was going to pass on to you, Ryan, because I think I've got a different opinion than Chris here. So, okay. Ryan, what's your thoughts on Carragher? Great footballer. You know, I think had the had the character that you'd need. And he was captain for, for you guys, right? No, I think he was always vice captain, wasn't yeah, he? Was, uh, vice yeah, captain. Yeah. He, he was the real captain, in fairness. Yes. Gerard wore the armband, but he was the captain. Lot, if that uh, makes uh, sense. A dressing room leader, then. Yes. He, he was, oh, 100%. Yeah. Him and Gerard ran the club. He would sacrifice himself for the team, and I don't think Gerard would ever do that. No, that's fair. Because I, I think I actually watched a, a documentary on Jamie Carragher, one of those um, Premier League Legends things that's on Netflix. And they had one about Jamie Carragher, and it was about how he retired relatively early as a footballer because he was like, well, I don't want to drop down. A level, I want to go out on top. I'm still in the team, um, but I know that my my playtime is going to reduce, so I'm going to just bow out now. And I think that's something that he sacrificed himself for the club because he could have stuck on, could have 
made life difficult almost but he was like you know what i've done my time i've done what i needed to do and i can step away but he had the he had the right character and to be a leader like that in a, in a club like liverpool is obviously massive and great footballer but you know he's it, i don't like him as a pundit now but again it's probably more like not liking liverpool players he was a really good player and i think that sort of gets him overlooked with his sort of squeaky voice and the way he comes across on the sky now he was a very, very good defender. Someone said once that um, they talk about Rio Ferdinand having speed and Carragher not having speed. And someone said, well, he doesn't need the speed because he's already read where the ball is going to be and he's already there. And that's kind of a sort of good way of looking at Jamie Carragher. He never had the speed, but he would put his heart and soul into everything and he could read the game incredibly well. I mean, I don't know about you, Ali, but do you remember that time he got cramp in the Champions League final yes, as well? Yes, yes. <clears throat> um, right. Jamie Carragher. Here we go. I think he's... I honestly believe he, he was a poor defender. Like, as in... I mean, you're on about him. He was good at reading. I, I, he made so many last-deck challenges because he was out of position so much. Um, he, he was helped. <laughs> he was What helped Carragher, he always had a football in centre-half behind him. He, like, then, then beside him. Like, if you want a last-ditch passion, as you said, put body on the line, the camp in the Champions League final and continuing to play through it. You know, just that body on the line, give everything for the club, Jamie Carragher. You can't he was the leader, you know, he was the most vocal. He always he was a winner, um, the best way to put it. You know, he was just one of those. He could put in a dirty challenge when needed. He he scored many an own goal, um, as you mentioned. But he just if he wasn't Scouse no Liverpool fan would have him in their conversation and top players. I genuinely believe that. I think he got he goes in with the Gerard category that, that we have that biased loyalty because he's homegrown, he's one of our own. If that, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I no, mean, he was Scouse and because and he was loved that much for it. I, I, I think you're doing a bit of a disservice there. I. The way I'm looking at it, now, not for your team, because this, this podcast not about the best, it's about your favourites. Mm. That's a completely different conversation. But if you're being honest and picking a, a, a team of the best team together, he doesn't get in your defence. No, OK, I think you're right and, there. And we haven't had the greatest defences in years. <laughs> like, but if you're being honest as well. Everyone loves a defender that puts in the last ditch crunching tackle. Spot, that everyone would love that. Spot on, yeah. But it get the cup on its feet, wouldn't it? That yeah. doesn't make him good. Uh, Gerard also got the cop on their feet against Man United. He got sent off after like 47 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. Um, but I, I, the one thing I do disagree with both of you is I think he's a very good pundit. My, I do. I, I think he's good. What, what I dislike about him is he says stuff just for sound bites. Whether he, it's, he's been told to do this. Same with Gary Neville. Gary Neville used to be a really good pundit, but he's now just turned into a walking sound bite trying to stir up seem like ridiculous things just to cause controversy. Someone did say that um, it was like the first week Jamie Carragher was on with Gary Neville and he was watching it. He said, this is unbearable. Only dogs can hear what you're saying. But I mean, the two of them started off great together on Sky, but it just seems like they just, it's more and more staged. You know, it's like turning into a WWE promo every week now. Yeah. And you'd think maybe that's what they've been directed to of do. Of course. To, I mean, to... like, 
yeah, I mean they're paying, they're getting paid a massive salary for people to tune and watch. Like people still tune in and watch Paul Merson as much mm. as they complain about him every week. Everybody still tunes in to hear what ridiculous stuff he's going to come out and say next. But let's not kid ourselves that these guys are that stupid that they're making these comments. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like it's kind of like you need to suspend. It's kind of like a superhero film. You need to suspend that reality. Like they're not that stupid. <laughs> Well, Merson, maybe, but you know, my biggest, my biggest thing I, I dislike Carragher for is just the whole Rafa treatment in the end. Um, he was a like we we spoke off board about Schmeichel being a massive part, massive dickhead behind the scenes, really, with the whole uh, Ranieri stuff after winning the league, and mm-hmm. obviously the the massive stories coming out was Carragher was massive behind uh, Rafa getting the push. I didn't know that. Can I take him yeah. off my team? Can I scrub him off somebody else? Too late now. <laughs> but, um, I mean, you'll never know how much of that's true. Mm. But he's, he's, not got a, he's not got a hell of a lot of things, nice things to say about Rafa. <laughs> um, who does, I honestly? Well, me. I don't want him on my team yes, anymore. Absolutely. <laughs> um, didn't, Rafa you... win, didn't Rafa win the European Cup? Yeah, but still, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, no, just, just. So wait, let me get, just let me get this straight. So <laughs> off, off pod, we were bashing Mourinho, who's your most successful ever manager, <laughs> and now you're having a go at Rafa Benitez, who won your European Cup. Oh, you entitled Chelsea fans! I've got a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is my changes team. Vegard. Hang on, what's going on? Here? <laughs> Can I change you to Vegard Higgins? You're, you're bashing legends here. No, no, you've picked Carragher. You're deal with that now. Oh, you, Jerry Carragher, brackets, you, Rafa you, hater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what shall we take next, Ryan? Will we take the centre half or will we go straight to left back? Centre half. Right, there you go. All right, fair centre half. Ali, I'm going to try and get you back on side with this one. Uh, I will never play for another English club. Do you know who said that? Danny Agar. Danny Agar. We've got the moves like Agar. Now we're talking over footballers and defenders. Oh, is it overrated? No, no, no. You, you finally picked a player. Oh, good, like yes. Yeah. Oh, I love Daniel Lager. I mean, he's one of the coolest looking players we've ever had at Liverpool, even though he looks like Jamie Bell, the actor. But um, I was watching some YouTube clips of him earlier on, and I just imagined him, I just remembered him as a um, crunching tackle defender. But... Um, he got forward quite a lot, didn't he? I mean, he had a thumping shot on him. And we all remember that. And a few free kicks as well. And do you remember that Champions League goal against uh, Chelsea in 2007? Yes. Um, he got forward quite a lot, didn't he, for a centre-half? Oh, what a player he was. He was a wonderful player as well. He wasn't just a sort of crunching, tackling and smashing other sort of strikers. But he could move with the ball and pass with the ball as well. He was a really good player. Yeah, for, for us, he was the one who kind of started that breaking out from the back. Yeah. You know, and threading the balls through to the forward line originally. Um, yeah, we never had anyone before that, did we, really? Not, not that I can remember. I mean, we maybe like, like, going back to your Hansen era. Yes. You know, when we played top of it. I mean, we went through that stage where we had Neil Ruddock, you know, and, <laughs> and players like that. But he then, like, broke the mould of... And, I mean, again, that complements why Carragher was... So highlighted because Hippia was not quite as advanced as as Agar, but he still liked the, you know it wasn't the the, the five yard pass to the right back or the punt up the park like like Carragher. You know he played it safe, which again nothing wrong with, it, but sometimes you just need that player who's willing to walk twenty yards with the ball 
and mm. it just forces the, the opposition to, to create space. Or, Do you remember that one he twatted in from about 30 yards against Blackburn in front of the cop? Wasn't that his debut or his second yeah, game? His first, and, yeah. yeah, but then he tried it every week after that. That was the only, <laughs> that was the only negative thing. Very much similar to David Louise scores one from 40 yards so decides to try it every week after that. But I remember um, when we signed him and then he did that. I was like, wow, what have we got here? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got just a mention. I mean, we're Liverpool fans get that always that ridiculous loyalty to certain players when he tattooed you'll never walk alone on his knuckles. And um, he's My favourite thing about him, he's a professional tattooist. He is. <laughs> and that's, that was like just amazing at the time to think a footballer in two different professions. I mean, it's totally ridiculous now thinking players can't do more than one thing. But at the time, you're like, wow. <laughs> he was one of the first footballers I remember with the arm sleeve tattoo. Yes. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. I suppose, yeah, you're probably right. Because when you think back to the time when he actually joined, um, it was kind of like just that crossover of eras. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ryan, another Liverpool player, so <laughs> you're not going to be too happy. But what's on Daniel Agra? you remember much of them? Uh, that that Chelsea goal in the semi-final of the Champions yeah, League? I mean, yeah, you mentioned a couple of uh, <laughs> couple of things there. Um, <laughs> I mean, from from what from what I remember of him, I think he was a decent centre-back. I, I don't have any like affiliation or anything like that. To, so I, I guess it's... Um, I don't know, I haven't really got anything to say about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, Ryan, but the thing I really liked about that goal he scored against Chelsea was the world where it's sort of free kick routine and the fact that from the edge of the area he managed to sort of curl it in with his left foot into the sort of corner of the goal. Is that how yeah, you remember it? Great goal. Yeah, great. I'll, I'll, not, I'll not mention the Champions League game too much, Ryan. But, you know, it, like, he's only 34 now. Yeah. Um, well, 33. He's not even 34 yet. That's... Retired so young for such a time. I mean, injuries obviously got the better on him. Um, poor management from like Rogers at the end of his career as well, because he would have been a fantastic servant just to keep on. Mm. Um, you know, just to do that. Like, maybe even play like that Ledley King role and only play a couple of games a season when fit. You know, kind of monitor his training sort of thing. But I mean, Rogers kind of got rid of him and Carragher out the team kind of at the same time as well. Mm. That sort of close cropped hair, that arm sleeve tattoos, white boots, he looked cool as anything, didn't he? Yeah, he definitely he definitely thought he should have been a follower, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he was like we thought the Spice Boys had gone, but a long a long cut in two thousand and six comes like a man from Denmark. Um he only scored nine goals for us. I feel like he scored more. Yeah, I do as well. Um I just I just love Dagger. He's, I think he's maybe one of my favourites. Um, and he's, he's kind of like a cult hero for us. Yeah. You know, he's one of those... Um, I mean, at the time, I loved it. Now, like, obviously, Torres is now back in my good graces, but that elbow where he smashed Torres in the face the first <laughs> time he came back um, to play us when he was at Chelsea was just lovely as well. I think when you um, think about... When you think about favourite Liverpool players, you have the obvious ones that come to mind. So, you know, you've got your Zabi Alonso's and Steven Gerrard's that come to mind. And then if you sort of take a minute or so to think about it, you think, oh, yeah, Daniel Agger. And then all of a sudden he grows on you after that. Yeah, I mean, I think you just forget about him so much because he was injured quite a lot um, yeah. and then not getting games. Because, I mean, Sammy Hippier is the one that always comes to mind um, in most Liverpool eyes. 
for mm. for centre halves. I mean, he was the, you know, the really like he had kind of the best of both worlds. Um, he was always fit. The, he was the proper captain of the team, obviously, for that period until Gerard took over. Um, so I think Aga kind of just gets missed behind, obviously, the Carragher and the, the Scouse, the loyalty of mm. the homegrown talent, and then the ridiculous cheap signing of Hippier, and obviously what Hippier achieved in 2005 with the Champions League, and captain in the club, and just the way Hippier like, portrayed himself. Um, so Aga kind of just gets missed out because of that, as you say, he's just not the he's not the obvious one. But once you start talking about him, you start realizing, oh wait a minute, you know he was that damn good. Mm. So I, yep, I like that. We're we're getting there. We're we're progressing <laughs> up. You, know, like you, you started the bar really low with Big Dave. So hey, no, no, no. I'm not having words against, against Big Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> right. Who's your second centre-bar? Who, who are we pairing up with Daniel Agar? Right, Ali, lay down, close your eyes and just smile. Sammy Hippier. Oh, what a segue. You could have just joined into that conversation. Oh, I could have done, couldn't I? Oh, what, a, what a fucking player he was. Just frightening. Um, the people talk about like that Champions League run, and everybody always talks about the the Garcia volley um, against Juventus. Obviously, Gerard's volley against uh, Olympiacos. Olympia, yeah, yeah. Um, you know to qualify out the group. Um, but Hippia's volley in that Juventus game on that the half wasn't it? Was that the first goal? No, yeah, yeah. To go one 0 up. Yeah, it's just ridiculous technique for a centre half. Um, read a game so well frighteningly good for the price we paid for Sammy Hippier nobody had heard of was just arguably one of the most the greatest bargains ever bought in the now, Premier but, League do you remember we said earlier on a pre-record about John Terry being the best defender in the Premier League I still think I think Terry was better no longer career achieved much more I don't know what you can argue about John Terry I think um, it's genuinely people just biased because they don't like John Terry, which is fine. Just admit that. I don't mind him. I think John Terry, <laughs> you, you, we, you just like you mentioned the the Jamie Carragher, the homegrown. John Terry is that times a hundred. He was the homegrown player. He was. They got him from West Ham. Was he? Yeah. No, John Terry wasn't. He was from West Ham originally. Played in the West Ham youth team. What well, under nine? Yeah, but he played. He, he no, played he the was... Chelsea youth team first. Right, no, he's a West Ham. Before, before, sorry, before he became the actual Chelsea. It's not like we brought him into the Chelsea first team, though. No, you got him from West Ham originally. Anyway, this is Sammy Hippier. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he scored. I watched him on YouTube earlier on. He scored a surprising amount of goals as well. But God, it was just his presence at the back. I was furious when they took the captaincy off him and gave it to Gerard. Do you, does that not tell you a lot about? That's a great model professional, though. Yes. Like, you ne- mean, that, you never, never heard anything no, about him no. being out of order, did you? Full back in, and you can really see why they did. Like, not that I agreed with it, but it maybe made Gerard the player he was. You know, that local boy, the talent he had as a youngster, maybe just to try and cement his legacy. And it really wasn't at the detriment of the team, at least. Like, if if the team had fallen apart because mm. of it, you could okay, you could maybe complain, but I mean it. I don't think Gerard was ever a great captain. I think it helped him more than it helped the club, but purely just because we had other leaders around him. I mean, Hippier was still there during that time, so he was a massive part. 
I mean, how long was he with us for? He was with us for an awful long time, wasn't he? Ten years. Mm. Just sort of ten years. Because um, he got his test- testimonial, didn't he, at the end? Yeah, I mean, you don't get that. You don't say Anfield for 10 years being rubbish, do you? No, definitely not. And I mean, I can't think of many times he wasn't even first team. Even at the end of his career, he kind of, once he was out the first team, it kind of was then gone. You know, he mm. moved he moved on. He moved back to Leverkusen after that. Um, I don't even know why he fell out of the team. I can't even remember really the end of his career, whether the performance started deteriorating and that's why he wasn't on the team. Or it was just a different style because obviously that was the Rafa, that was our peak season, the closest probably we came to winning the league that 08 or 09 season. Well, we got skirted by then as well, haven't we? Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, Rafa, <laughs> Rafa's maybe not so great. <laughs> but oh, but I, think, I, I think Liverpool fans feel the same about Sammy Hippia as how Manchester United fans will feel the same about Nemanja Vidic big commanding sort of foreign centre-half that comes in and just absolutely bosses it. Until he plays Torres, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're probably right. I mean, and it'd be like Carvalho, like, so Ryan could have interaction in this conversation. Kind of be like the Carvalho for Chelsea. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah someone yeah. that you, you, you buy in, but... You need that has balance. Such a presence on, has such yeah. a presence and a influence on that squad. And got the culture of the club, and that yeah, and that's yeah. massively important for a foreign player um, coming into the team. Is he the best defender we've had in the Premier League era at Liverpool? No, he's currently still playing for us. I really, uh, you think? I, 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 I've I've been I'm ridiculously huge Van Dyke fan now, probably for about eight years, um, whenever he first signed for Celtic. But he's definitely the best, apart from. Current players, he's 100% the best defender we've ever had. Mm. Um, and, and obviously, in recent times, I didn't see much of your Hansons and, and Hughes and all that back then. But in, say, from the, the 90s upwards, I, I don't think anybody touches Sammy Hippier as much as a Lovaga. Mm. Hippier was definitely the, was the better defender, the, the most consistent, the, just the leader, the... As, as we spoke about, you know, the Carvalho, the, the Vidic for United, you know, every team needs that that player. Um, and Hippia was definitely ours. You, you, when you saw his name on our team sheet, if he'd been out injured for a few weeks and then he'd come back and you saw his name on the team sheet, he sort of relaxed a little, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, again, as I said earlier, we were never that solid defensively. Um, we, were, we, were, we were, the best years obviously I had was that, was that Rafa era with Pepe, in goal when Sammy and, and Jamie is like that trio um, but you, as you say Hippie was that common you knew you were never going to get a mistake out of Hippie yeah. you know there was a chance of it with Carragher he would always throw his body on his line to save it Pepe was always he never called me as great as he was I was never relaxed and calm with him in goal like I'll never be with Alisson in goal you just you just know they've got those erratic moments at mm. any time they want, but Hippie, you just knew you were, you would never get below a seven, you know, he was just that player. Yeah, every week, it'd be at least yeah. seven out of ten, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely, and that was him having a bad game. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think I think Hippie should go down as most Liverpool fans, like top defender, unless you're, say, 50 plus, 45 plus, you know, for that, if you're talking into the, the 70s and 80s era 
Like, mm. and you can remember it fully. Um, not just going back, because we all know Hansen was maybe arguably Liverpool's best centre-half, but unless you were there watching games and not just studying tape, I think Hippie has got to go down as our best defender. Mm. I mean, Ryan, you'll not have much to add on Hippie, I'm guessing as well. I'm not really concentrating on Liverpool much back then. I mean, I guess the, the thing was that he was that commanding player, and I think what you've also, what you've both said in terms of like the the foreign influence, or you know, coming in to a team, getting the atmosphere of the club, understanding the club, and becoming a club icon is such a big thing. And the thing is, Sammy Hippie was the type of guy that you know you definitely want to you won't want to piss off or anything like that. Yeah. You know, he was a big mean dude on the pitch, like. And, and Chris, you you know the fact that you you said that you know. If he's in the team sheet for the first time, after a couple of weeks, you feel safer. Every club needs a player like that, especially in defence or in like you know defensive midfield or something. Where if they're not in the team, you're not as strong. But as soon as they come back in, you're immediately like more secure. Mm. So um, great player. You know, I've, I've got no um, no qualms about that selection. I mean, the best thing about players like Hippia and. I'll go back for it again for yourself, Ryan, like to the like the Viales, the Zolas. Um, they just got the club, you know, it became part of them. Um, I'm not so much not so sure many like foreign players in today's game really get clubs as much. It's more of a it's a job for them. Um, which is totally fine. I mean it's their job. But you know when players just buy in to the ethos of a club and become a fan. Like those players are just special to fans. Absolutely, yeah. Right, three out of four, Chris. Who's the who's the infamous, famous Sunday League um, left back? <laughs> well, this is one that Ryan might like this one because of a particular own goal. But I'm going for um, John Arnarisa, Risa Krispies. <laughs> Have you done this whole team just to annoy Ryan? Just, just. No, there was an own goal that he scored that put he Chelsea did. through into the um, yeah. Champions League. Do you remember that? Well, the, the only thing I'll say about this entire defence so <clears> far <throat> is before the podcast, we were saying, oh, Ryan, your whole team was Chelsea players. What are you doing? <laughs> this whole defence is Liverpool. <laughs> this is where my Liverpool players end. I will say that. But yeah, I okay. really like John Arisa. He joined us. He was a bit low-key. And then do you remember that sort of... Um, free kick that Gerard laid off to him back in 2001 where he smashed oh, it into the top good. corner against Liverpool. Um, against Liverpool? Against Liverpool, against Manchester United, sorry. Yes, yeah. Down at the Anfield Road end. Yeah, I mean, he scored 31 goals for Liverpool, which is quite a lot for a fullback, isn't it? Including He's that goal. scored a lot of free kicks and I tell you, the amount of times that me and my dad would sit there and, and it, games against Liverpool would be really interesting because we'd both sit down and start the game and go, if they... They will score within the first five minutes. Regardless of what the final score would be, Liverpool would be guaranteed pretty much to score within the first couple of minutes. And it'd just mm. be a barnstormer of a game. I can't remember, but Reese has scored a goal within, I'm pretty certain, like two or three minutes against Chelsea, probably in a Champions League game, because that's all oh, we wasn't a, wasn't a cup final. Was it a cup final? It was one of the, it was a big I'm sure big it was a cup, cup final game. and you yeah. 2-1. That's um, right. I'm sure it was the year of the talk of Gerard going to Chelsea. Was um, it the year that Mourinho shushed the Liverpool fans? Yes. I'm poor, I could, I'm, <laughs> as soon as you started mentioning the goal was going in early, I was going to mention it. I'm sure Risa scored. It was about two minutes in, um, and then we held on for as long as we could. And I think he's got maybe an equaliser and 
sixtieth minute, and then you scored quite late on, or maybe even extra time. Um, wasn't that the game where the, it was a Gerard own goal? Quite Probably. possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I mean, either way, Risa, great player. Like the, the amount of times that I'd, every time he'd get on the ball, I'd think, oh, for God's sake, he's gonna either welly it in from far out or he'll put a really good ball in someone and someone will score. All of his goals, he absolutely leathered the ball, didn't he? He's like he didn't like the net and was almost like picturing <laughs> picturing the net with someone that he hated. That I'm going to kick this ball straight in your face. <laughs> but yeah, he used to absolutely hammer. But I loved it when he played for us because he picked the ball up and he just sort of charged down that left wing. And again, it like he'd either cross it or he'd absolutely hammer it, and it would end up in the back of the net or sort of going out the ground into the Mersey or something like that. But he was fantastic. I loved him to bits. It's, there, was, there was just something something about Arisa. I don't know what it was, um, but he just—he's just another player that had that affiliation with the fans, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and obviously, the more and more social media become important, he became more important to the club as well. Um, I think he'd be an unbelievable ambassador uh, for the club. You know, he's always tweeting about the club. He's always watching the club. You know, he's in full support. He's always taking part in all the charity stuff and things like that. I mean. It's a shame the way, obviously, it ended for him. But he was just... He, was that, he wasn't a good defender, um, like, positional-wise. He was just so good going forward. As Ryan says, that, I mean, what he felt, because it was always that dread, you know, we had that utmost optimism every time he got the ball um, and drove on. And any time he was within 30, 35 yards from goal, he just always felt something could happen. Mm. Um so he's just, I don't know, yeah. I mean, the Chelsea goal aside, which obviously cost us a Champions League um, final. But was that the 2006 one? It must have been, wasn't 2009, it? 2009, that was. 2009, was it too, that late on? I thought yeah. it was the year. Yeah. I mean... We don't need to talk about what happened in the final, though, so you can just, you know, move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, 2000, was it no, 2008, that would have been, wouldn't it? Because that's when Chelsea got to the final. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Because it would have been—I knew it would have been two two finals in a row for ourselves. But obviously, we had the uh, two thousand and seven final. That's what it was. Mm. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, what more? I mean, he was in the. Yeah, he was in the squad for the two thousand and five final. Yeah. Because um, he I hit mean, the crossbar or something, didn't he? Do you remember just after the third goal, he, he either hit the crossbar, or he went close from the left wing, didn't just he? Just close, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was just like that perfect left back that we needed, wasn't it? Just that. Yeah. Because we had Finn in at the time. Yes. Um, who was the solid right back. Good going forward, but he was just that solid, perfect, arguably our best right back um, of my my time anyway. And Risa was just that the eccentric left back who bombed up the park and that absolute bomber of a left. I mean, just ask Alan Smith how hard he can hit a ball. Um, <laughs> you know, it just, if you can break somebody's ankle with a free kick, you know you're hitting that ball and you really dislike whoever you're thinking of. <laughs> all three of those players, Danny Agger, Sammy Hippier, John and Arisa, they're three foreign players that came in that absolutely got the club and what it was about. I mean, without, it's kind of hard to say this, without trying to make it too liverpool um, <laughs> we we've been very fortunate to, have to sign players who got the club, you know, to who kind of still talk about us and, I mean, you're talking like, Daniel Agar refused to play for another English club, Premier League club. You know, um, I have no doubt if Man City offered him 
150 grand a week, though he would have signed for them. But it's nice of him to say it and not do it, if you know what I mean, and then yeah. like stick to it. But I think. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's carry on. No, no, I was going to say I, um, you. I think you'd get that for Liverpool and Manchester United quite a lot because they're big old clubs that go back quite far. You're probably going to get it more with Manchester City and Chelsea. They're both very sort of old traditional clubs, but they've only had the success that sort of those abroad know about in recent years. So I think as you as time goes on and you get sort of younger players coming through, yeah. then you're going to start getting that Manchester City and um, and Chelsea, and maybe less so with Liverpool and Manchester United, the longer they don't win the league. I, I, I don't think so. I think, I mean, Liverpool have went nearly 30 years without winning the league. Mm. And we're still, I mean, we'll always be one of the most well-supported teams in the world. And, like, again, like, not even taking a minute, but Chelsea and City are now becoming one of those clubs around the globe. Like, they're, they're easily big clubs in England um, and in Britain, you could say, because obviously there's masses of City and Chelsea fans, even up in Scotland now. Um, but globally, I think Chelsea and City are gradually becoming, especially City, um, with their owners taking over clubs all over the world. Um, but uh, again, not disrespecting Chelsea and City too much, but Liverpool and United are kind of that natural way because of the proper history of the club. Like City are that family club, you know, the local fan base, mm. you know, like for the, the main road one. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not even, I sound really bad, but I don't know about Chelsea's like fan base and history. It's more the modern era we see, um, especially up here. But Chelsea weren't talked about as much. It was always Liverpool and United anywhere in the UK out with, you know, the the relative cities. So, yeah, I think you're right. And I think you'll see Chelsea and City, like, being talked about in the same way for players who go. But even that, you can't even actually, I take that back because Chelsea are very something like that now with the, the Drogba's, the, even Anelka, you know, they, they still talk about the club very highly. Carvalho was the same. I think, for me, it's, it's not even a case of Liverpool and Manchester United, and this is obviously probably a, a bigger conversation for a different pod, but Manchester United and Liverpool have got it's almost like an ethos about them, and that's what you're saying, you know, the Aga, Hippia, Risa, all came into the club and got that ethos. Whereas I don't think Chelsea and Man City have necessarily got that thing about them that makes them a historic big club, if that makes sense. In yeah, it's ca- Liverpool is, it's, you know... The, you'll never walk alone and you know the, the way that you walk through the tunnel at Anfield and, and there's little things that make it where if you get the club the fans will get behind you and all three of those did that I yeah, don't think I Chelsea mean, or Man City have really got that I think it's because if you go to Chelsea or Man City because you're in a potentially <clears throat> better position to win something rather than going to somewhere where you're part of a bigger thing where Liverpool and Manchester United I think Liverpool more so I think you're going for a bigger part of something not just to win stuff yeah very well put I mean I, I don't know if it's got any I mean, it's obviously Liverpool and United have both got massive tragedies um, which is part of their fan base which brings them all together um, like the, the whole you never walk alone thing and you know so it's like that family type you know once you're in yeah. you're you know that you're in yeah, um, so yeah, I think you know, as, as you say, this this would be a very good discussion to have on a on a full board. Um, what people are actually interested in, rather than the carry on that we're trying to have. But <laughs> I think it would be a very good topic and debate to have, even with other clubs and what they feel is their ethos of the club, etc. 
I mean, somebody tried to cover who is a big club podcast quite recently, what what determines a big club sort of thing. Um, and I think it is a very good and interesting debate, talk, conversation that we could have. Like, let's get back to the more light-hearted and jovial stuff hmm. um, rather than <laughs> that deep, the deep, meaningful conversation <clears throat> there. Um, how are you lining up your three in midfield? Um, this question. Is it a flat three? Is it is it one defensive midfielder with two central? One? No, they're just eleven number tens. First one is um, he's played played. Uh, I think he played for Fulham a little bit, but before then he played around about Europe, played for Inter Milan and stuff like that. It's Georgios Karagounis. Oh, I just used to love Ooh. watching. Um, part of the Greece team in Euro 2004, of course, but he was one of those players. He was a proper, proper number ten. He could. He's one of those players that, um, as he got older in his career, he uh, he didn't make his forward runs as much. He was very much sort of make a forward run and shoot from long range and you know score. But he became one of those players that became a sort of ball passing number ten, um, a little less mobile, but still able to spray the ball. But he's. He looked like he had 10 yards of free space around him, if he, even if he was being sort of gegenpressed. And it, back in the early 2000s and the late late 90s, uh, Eurosport had this program called Eurogoals, and they'd round up the weeks um, uh, or the weekends action from around Europe. And it was first how I got my Ricardo Charisma fetish that Ryan knows about. <laughs> um, and Eurosport was first where I sort of found Zidane in the mid-90s for the um, Intertoto Cup. I'd watch him on there every week. And I'd watch Karagounis playing in the Greek leagues and in the leagues around Europe where he played as well. And he was he was just stood out. He was just a wonderful ball player, a wonderful uh, striker of the ball, and just a wonderful passer as well. He was really, really underrated, but a fantastic player and a real key part of that Greece team. I, I only know I'm from the 2004 um, Greece European team winning team um, I'm sure he scored their first goal in that tournament against Portugal yeah he did um, and that's pretty much all I know of him I couldn't tell you what he looks like I couldn't have told you where he played if you hadn't told me um, I just noticed he did play for Fulham for a couple of years um, he only got 39 appearances for them so obviously wasn't a regular obviously at the end of his career anyway um, but I've not really got much to add on Carragher so what would you say Ryan? Not really that much, but it is, I, I, so I've, I'm doing a bit of looking at as we go along. And I, as soon as I typed his name in, I saw a picture of him and oh, Karagounis, right, yeah, okay. And it's it's one of those things where you start looking through 139 caps for Greece, which is it's, it's insane in itself. But it's a little bit of a weird career, you know, Inter to Benfica, you know, then back to Panathinaikos, and then, and then yeah, Fulham to sort of end his career. And it's... Just bizarre that he he's one of those players that once you once you see a picture of him he he's instantly recognisable from say the World Cups and the Euros and stuff like that. and obviously that that Euro will always be remembered for that you know for Greece winning that tournament and obviously he is the face of that happening almost so it's great to, he's a great player and it's just something that I, I think I wouldn't have seen enough of enough of him especially because he didn't play that many times for Fulham but. He's one of those players that you recognise, which is always a good sign. It was him, and there was uh, Figo Zagarakis, 
the former Leicester player who was the Greek captain, and there was Andreas Karasteis as well, who was the sort of big man up front that scored all their sort of key goals as they won one nil. Um, the three of them were really sort of the focal point for that Greek team. Mm. But it was a really good Greek team. If you think about it, they were criticised a lot for their negative play, but they had a way of playing, and the way they played that was just to perfection. Yeah. It's it's, it's hard to argue because they won playing like that. So yeah. If 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 people played like that now, I think that that's where the game has almost changed. And and if you got that now, you'd probably have people saying like more people saying, "Well, it was a great defensive display because they were the underdog." I feel like that style of play is more acceptable these days. Mm. Playing a defensive thing, the the amount of games that I've watched and it's gone, "Well, that's a great defensive display," even though the other team has put say ten men behind the ball. If they can manage to get a draw out of it and they're an underdog team, they're praised for it. So I think Greece would probably get a lot more. I'm sure they got enough credit back then anyway, but I think they'd get, probably get more credit now, personally. Mm. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Because, I mean, I think at the time there was a lot of there was a lot of stick thrown towards that whole Euros just purely because Greece won it, didn't they? I mean, it was, it's very, the whole tournament's looked upon very negatively. Um it's kind of like that whole Leicester winning the league, you know, everybody's always got to find a reason to be negative. I don't care how you win, so long as you win, I'm sure none of those players really give, you know, too much thought over anybody else's opinion. I mean, they've won a European Cup, or a Euro- international European Cup, obviously. Um, so that's all they're bothered about. Yeah. Sorry, I had to mute there. Kids were shouting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, I don't really have much to add on him. Um, I mean, Ryan knows more about him than me, which is a sad state of affairs when he's just, like 10 years younger. Wikipedia is a glorious <laughs> thing sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, who's the who's your next one? Uh, next one, it's not his first mention on this pod, but it's Paul Merson. Um, and I think there's him and there's another couple of players who you know might get mentioned, but... Um, He's of that period of time where he's retired possibly so long ago that people sort of their late teens, early 20s now in this sort of social media age only know Paul Merson as that weird ranty man on Soccer Saturday that spouts nonsense about, you know, Marco Silva. Whereas if you think back to the sort of player he was, um, he started off as this sort of attacking uh, sort of number 10 or winger for Arsenal. Um, he had a fantastic right foot to be able to curl the sort of ball in from the edge of the area. Um, so when he left Portsmouth, he became this sort of deep line ball player for Portsmouth. And, you know, as with Caragunas, I'm a bit of a sucker for those. So hmm. I saw him a few times. I saw him play for Arsenal sort of four or five times. And I saw him play for Portsmouth once when they played at Leicester. Um and the game against Leicester, he absolutely ran that game from midfield. It finished at 1-1, but he was everywhere. He he didn't particularly run as much, um, but he could pick a pass. And if you look at how they got promoted that season, they got promoted by... Oh, well, both Leicester and Portsmouth went up that season. Um, and a lot of the goals were Merson assists pretty much to Svetislav Todorov, who scored sort of 20, 25-odd goals that season for Portsmouth. Um and he was just a fantastic player. Well-known issues off the pitch. I saw him play for Leicester um, or play against Leicester for Arsenal in sort of about maybe a week or two after he came back after his off-the-field issues and he went into rehab. Um, 
And he came off the Arsenal team bus and got a bit of stick from the Leicester crowd. And he said, you know, if I score today, I'm looking for you, matey. And um, it was good. It was a really, really good player. It's a shame that people now don't see that. They just see the sort of buffoon ears on Soccer Saturday. Yeah, I'm holding my hands up to being one of those. I just can't. He, he was he was a great player, but he's just let it all go and ruined it all just from his sheer idiocity on Soccer Saturday. <laughs> I know. I didn't think it'd be a popular choice, but he's, he is a, it was, or he used to be a, a fantastic player. 100%. Yeah, just maybe one of the most talented midfielders England produced. Yeah. Um, especially at that time, you know. Um, I I think I seen him more in the Middlesbrough season, two seasons maybe. Um, just at that, you know, at that stage, it was like that 97, 98, that era, somewhere about then. Um and it was at that time you're always playing like championship managers and put, you know when you're really getting into those type of games, um, and obviously then going on to like Villa and Portsmouth after that. Um, but when you look back, obviously being the Liverpool fan, looking back at the, the late eighties, early nineties, I mean Merson was just massive part of Arsenal squad um, back then, and obviously they were the 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 football team that they had. They've always had that football ethos and. Played some really good stuff, and Merson's a massive part of all that. Surprising number of shots, either from the edge of the area, but surprising number of um, sort of lobs or chip goals as well. I mean, he, he lobbed, I think it was against Richard Wright in the Everton goal. Richard Wright was about only about sort of three, four yards off his line, but Merson lobbed him from about 35 yards out, um, having just ridden a sliding tackle. And he had a really, really close ball control. Um, and could pick a pass or pick a shot. It wasn't just like a shot on goal. It was like a deliberate aiming of the top corner. He could, he was, like you say, he's just, just an incredibly talented player. And who knows how far he could have gone without the sort of demons he had. Yeah, I mean, I think, unfortunately, I think Merson will always be remembered for for those demons and for his, his punditry stuff. Um, yeah. And it's kind of hard to ignore them because they're so, you know, out there. And he doesn't hide, hide them from anyone, but... Um, I think yeah, if you can if you can put that aside and look at his his football talent, I suppose you've got to give him a lot of credit. And the lack of caps he got for England, down to the the talent that was around in midfield in that era, um, and his demons, of course, as well, which wouldn't have helped. Like overall, um, maybe hampered that. But yeah, it's, it's a it's a random pick one I didn't expect. But, but yeah, I can see why. Especially obviously, you're we spoke pre-pod about the, the just that different generation for yourself. Mm. the different football that you had seen compared to me and then obviously Ryan's the, the one after that. But Yeah, I mean, Ryan, do you even remember much of Paul Merson playing? Not not really. Um, the, the only real thing I know about Paul Merson was like, I went to an event in Manchester probably about four years ago and Harry Redknapp was the special guest and he, he was giving stories about players and I'm pretty certain he was talking about Paul Merson and... Paul Merson had come up to him sort of the Monday before a game on a Saturday and said, boss, I need to, this yes. I've, got, I've got a drug problem. I've got a problem. I need to get away. And so he, yeah, he says, yeah, I need to get away. Uh, there's a rehab uh, that I need to go to. And Harry Redknapp says, okay, well, you know, come back for Saturday or whatever. And, but, you know, if you, if you need a couple of days, then take a couple of days. It's not a problem. And Harry Redknapp gets called a couple of days later from someone in like Tenerife. Going, one of your footballers is out here. 
like, what do you mean one of my footballers? <laughs> I think it's Paul Merson. <laughs> so Paul Merson had obviously just sacked off this rehab <laughs> and just went to Tenerife, probably drugged up and uh, with a couple of females on his arm, apparently. And I read <laughs> that was like, he was apparently fuming. <laughs> Came back for the, the game and was obviously really tanned as well. He said, oh, so how was the rehab? <laughs> <laughs> tried to play it off. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I know like Paul Merson. He, he, he should now get included in everybody's team. <laughs> that's, that's genius. <laughs> Imagine trying to do that now with you know, one of the social media that we love in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a good random pick, that one. I like that. That yeah. may be up there with your Kevin Gallon. <laughs> Not quite Big Dave level, but it's... Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> Right, third and final midfielder. Okay, third and final midfielder is a uh, soccer Saturday colleague of uh, Mercy's. It's Matt Matissier. Yes. Phenomenal player. And again, we're running the risk here of spotty youths like Ryan not remembering him as a player and just thinking he's just a bloke on soccer Saturday that watches telly every week. But he was an unbelievably good player. Um, and it's a shame that so many people have to go back to YouTube to to watch how good he was and not remember. But I think if all you remember him as is this bloke on Soccer Saturday and you go back and look at some of his goals, I mean, the sort of the smashed him from about 30 yards against um, uh, against um, Blackburn, against him Flowers, the sort of dinks over his head for the goal against Newcastle, where he sort of dinked it around three players over their heads and stuff. The free kick where he sort of lifts it onto his chest and then volleys it against Wimbledon. And there's just so many. His, his highlights package, um, if you sort of show the top 10 Matatissier goals, probably leaves out another 20 or 30 that were equally as good. Yeah, he didn't score a bad goal. No. Um, I can't, I was listening to a podcast maybe a couple of years ago um, and Matatissier we spoke about in general. And uh, like so many goals were mentioned that maybe I hadn't seen. I went back and watched and Apart from his penalties are his worst goals, you know, because <laughs> they were just standard thingy. I mean, well, 40, 47 out of 48 penalties is, is ridiculous. He was, did you know about his technique for scoring no, a penalty? No. Because he did this in a deliberate way. If you watch, go back and watch some of his old penalties. Mark Crossley was the only one that saved a penalty against him, I think. Um, he always hit the ball to the goalkeeper's left. He was right-footed, so he hit the ball to the goalkeeper's left because you think the ball's got a sort of go away from the goalkeeper as it goes towards that far corner. Whereas if you hit it um, to the goalkeeper's right with your right foot, it sort of goes yeah. closer to him as it goes to that corner. And he said the other thing about being right-footed and aiming to the left-hand corner is if you, the goalkeeper goes that way, you can change your mind instantly and sort of with a swipe of the ball, with a sort of follow-through of your foot, you can aim it into the keeper's right then. Mm. Oh, that's clever. Really yeah. clever, but incredibly effective, like you just said with that stat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't argue. Whatever he decides to say was about penalties. You, you kind of have to give it, as you say, forty-seven <laughs> forty-eight. It's just nonsense. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the world who's, who's close to that. He did a thing of the week. I saw it. I was doing sort of watching YouTube today, just in preparation for this, and he did a sort of best of five against um, Paul Merson with Rob Green involved in goal and. Every single one of his penalties, Rob Green wasn't getting anywhere near. You think this was just only filmed a couple of weeks ago. Um, but every single one of his penalties was into the corner. And you, you could see this technique in action because the first one, he went down to the keeper's left. And Rob Green, even though he went the right way, didn't get anywhere near it. 
Rob Green then guessed and went a couple of sort of fractions of a second early down to his left for the next penalty. So Letitia flicks it down to his right instead. He could have put a goalkeeper in goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think just putting a random guy in goal. Hmm. <laughs> well, he did, Rob Green. Just, just, yeah, just a quick change of subject when we're talking to YouTube because somebody who like actually researches stuff for this podcast shouldn't be ever allowed back on. Um, <laughs> but... You know when you get into like I, I'm guessing you guys do it as well. You watch maybe one video on YouTube and you're still there four hours later. Yeah, looking at um, different videos. Yeah. yeah, you're on a completely different subject. Um, well, I was watching like old wrestling stuff last night, and for some reason my next video came on. You know those R2 guys, like the flicks and tricks and fancy oh, yeah. shots. And, you know those two. They, they were doing like a training session with Pochettino. Oh, but Pochettino is a baller still. Genuinely, if, I, I assume he's still semi-fit, but if he had got into like footballer shape and say he could still play at a very good level, his touch is impeccable. He's shooting and volleying and passing and everything is just like on point. Do you know how he like, got discovered by Marcelo Bielsa? No. Uh, Pochettino's family are farmers, and he's from a very sort of remote rural farming area in Argentina, and. Um, Similar sort of area from where, uh, sort of geographically from where Bielsa is from. And Pochettino, as a young boy, was making his name for himself in the sort of local leagues and school leagues around there. And Bielsa just heard of him. And he went and visited the Pochettino family, knocked on the door of his parents' house. But it was like 10 o'clock at night. But Bielsa wanted, driven all this way to go and see him and said, look, I want to see your boy. And they said, well, he's asleep. No worries. That's fine. So Bielsa sort of walked past his parents into Pochettino's bedroom where the sleeping Pochettino is, uh, lifts back the duvet, and there's Pochettino lying in bed. Bielsa sort of grabs his thighs and gives him a sort of squeeze and went, yeah, good thighs, he'll do. I'll sign him. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that story, like, you, you couldn't do that today, could you? Uh, no, I don't... You, you maybe could. You'd be in prison and not manage again. Jesus. But, you, but honestly, I, I, I highly recommend watching this video, guys. Yeah. If you get, I think it's like an eight-minute video. R2 with Pochettino. Um... And just watch, like, his penalties, his free kicks are bang in the corners. It's just, it's scary. Like, how, like, you see, like, managers and that way, like, the odd good touch now and again. But this is constant, just long, like, 50-yard passes, and he's bringing them down, stopping the ball dead. Um, it's just phenomenal. Um, just a quick change of subject, just talking about that. Now. But um, back to Leticia, Ryan. So... The, the earliest, not earliest memory I sort of have, but we're talking about the 98, maybe 99 seasons, and Matt Letizia scored a goal against Man United, Southampton 3, Man United 3, and Letizia scored, it wasn't even a good hit either, I just always remember this goal because it was Diaby in goal for Man United. I think it was his name, T.R.B. maybe. T.I.B. Massimo T.I.B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever's done this YouTube video has spelled his name wrong. But he was he was error-prone anyway, this yeah. goalie. Oh, definitely. Because um, I think I think Chelsea had beat them like 5-0 or something with this guy in goal. But Letitia gets the ball, and he's probably maybe 25 yards up. He hits it right along the floor, and it just goes through this guy's legs. And that is that. that's one of the, the only real memories of, of Letitia playing I have. But... From all accounts that I can tell, and from looking around, is he's such a good technique technical player in terms of passing and striking of the ball. So definitely, I can I can appreciate that choice. But it was so effortless to him as well. 
I mean, that's why he never got the big club call up. Mm. You know, because they looked at him like he was like that lazy, entitled player, kind of like the Berbatov of the more modern era. You know, he just he swanned about the park. You know, everything was effortless and easy. So, like, teams didn't like that that time. You know, they wanted the, the hard work and hustle and bustle from their midfielders. You know, he was like, he, he would have been great in today's era where you get the more, you know, the David Silvers and, you know, mm. the Coutinho's, you know, those kind of more free-roll second striker, like Letizia was. Um, I mean, he, he was the first midfielder in the Premier League era to have hit 100 goals. You know, when we have that discussion over Gerard Lampard, um, and it comes down to, obviously, Ryan, you mentioned Lampard's goals. Uh, Letizia is the first one to hit 100 goals. I mean, don't get me wrong. He was he was more of a he was more of a second striker than a midfielder, but still an incre- impressive. He was only the sixth player to do it. I mean, that Southampton team at the time was absolutely terrible, and year on year they were battling relegation. And year on year, he pretty much single handedly kept them up as well. I mean, there was times when I think he scored over half of Southampton's goals that season. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, he was a double figure most seasons, wasn't he? Comfortably. Mm. Uh, what was his international career like? That's what I was actually meant to I think at. he only got about eight caps. He yeah. he played eight a caps, B team. Yeah. yeah, he played a B team game or something like that, and um, then he played a couple of games for England. And we just didn't use him in the same way that he was used for Southampton. And he never went to the World Cup in France '98. I think he scored a hat trick in some B international or, or something before France '98. But Glenn Hoddle didn't pick him. But I mean, if he was any other nationality, they'd have built the team around him. Yeah, yeah, and I think that was the biggest thing that like, that podcast I'd listened to, like I took away from it. You know, if he if he had, if he'd been Spanish, say, you know, mm. he was the he was the focal point of the team. Um, but I, again, it was just that whole Brexit loving English, like you know, you wanted the hard working, less talented, shall we say, like can just run about loads. We went for David than, Batty instead. Yeah, just can do all the running and the leg work rather than having like those specialised. Players, yeah. So yeah, I like that pick. That's good. Good. Right. So are we doing your? Uh, now we just went for free attacking midfielders. Um. So your team's going to get battered every week. <laughs> so are you playing with wingers and a striker? Are you playing three strikers, or are you just uh, going fuck no. it and let's see what we do? I'm playing three number nines. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Well, you got a good defence anyway, so you'll be fine. Yeah, we got Sammy and Big Dave. What, what do we need? Yeah. <sighs> Um, first striker is a striker I used to watch quite a lot because when I um, first sort of 30 odd years of my life I lived in Leicester so uh, I used to watch him most weeks um, and this is Super Stevie Claridge uh, one of those players that you can imagine being because you know he sort of never wore shin pads socks always rolled around his ankles ran and ran and ran and ran and ran um, looked like he might have just slept in his car and I think there were times when he did sleep in his car and sell fruit out the back of it and then turn up to the football matches I used to wait outside the front at um Filbert Street um with a with an ex-girlfriend of mine to get the players autographs when they turned up and I think the rule was players Martin O'Neill said the rule was players had to be in by half past one and at about sort of 29 and a half minutes past one in would come Stevie Claridge screeching his car and running down to try and get through. He was that sort of player. He, he, he was just probably the most disorganised human being you could imagine. But 
he was such a good player and he was really, really good for Emil Heskey in his formative years as well. He would chase down lost causes. He was actually not a bad player as well. Um, scored a fair few goals and Leicester players remember him fondly for scoring the sort of last minute winner of the playoff final in 96 when he shinned it from 25 yards out past Nigel Martin. Can we talk about Heskey more than Claridge here? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a very niche pick. I understand it's a very niche pick uh, because if you didn't live in the Midlands in the sort of 80s and oh, in this sort of early 90s, you won't really get the Steve Claridge thing because he played for Birmingham as well. Um, and at that time, Central TV used to show um, live games on a Sunday afternoon and more often than not Birmingham being a pretty big team would be on unless they've been a pretty big team would be on. So I used to, if it wasn't at the game, I'd watch quite a lot of um, Stevie Claridge when he was playing. So I think this is probably a bit of a niche pick. I mean, what, what a career. You've actually looked at his, <laughs> Oh yeah. Look at his Wikipedia page. <laughs> Wikipedia page. What on earth? They're like, he played a, was it a friendly for Salisbury only last year? Yeah. 51 year old. <laughs> played in a friendly against Portsmouth due to a lack of but his career if you look at it lasted what 20 20 25 years he had 26 yeah. clubs in that time Jeez, honestly not, not so. including loan spells this was just the clubs that he played for. <laughs> I mean so the, if you have a look at that Leicester one he only, was only at Leicester for what two, two years yeah I, he felt like he was there a lot longer than that which I think is a, a good mark of any player if, if, if you're if you can be at a club for a couple of seasons and you can make such a, an impact on, on someone that you you know your thought when you go back and look at them you think oh my god they were only there for a couple of years but they feel like they're such a bigger part of that club that's always a good sign I remember when Leicester signed him because Birmingham had two decent players at that time they had a defender called Liam Daish and they had Stevie Claridge and the Leicester record signing at that time was like Mark Blake for something like £350,000. And I think Leicester signed him for a million. And it was like some, this is some sort of statement of intent for the future. But did you ever see um, MTV Footballers Cribs? No. MC Harvey went round Steve Claridge's house. Steve Claridge lives in the middle of nowhere on a house that he built next door to his parents' house. And he lives on his own. And he'd still got a teddy bear in his bed. <laughs> His autobiography is incredibly good as well. It's like a footballer that's made it the hard way. But he's, um, like I say, he's, he's got his betting issues and, you know, he, he was selling stuff out the back of his car and then going to games and stuff. He's, his autobiography is incredibly good. Yeah. <laughs> I know more of Claridge from his BBC stuff than his football and stuff. Yeah. Um, I think, as you say, you kind of need to be in that area Yeah. to, to really know. It seems kind of the, the football... I mean, Ryan's got a point. I mean, to, to go to all these clubs, to be that journeyman, it can be looked at one of two ways. But teams still want you and you're constantly getting signed. It means you're not a bad player. You know, you can't be a team... I mean, obviously, they're not the greatest of teams, but you can still go and do a job for one, two years at all these clubs. And, and you I must think, really, really like football as well. Yeah, yeah. Aye, cause, and still, as you said, Ryan said, about the, the Salisbury at 51-year-old, I mean, you still have to love the game to even play one game. Um, I mean, even like didn't like Merson went and played a game by the last year or the year before with Bullard, remember? Yeah. Um, and just it's good to see like I mean, even the players that would have played with this kind of guy would still learn something and and enjoy playing with a player of that stature. Like 
even even at the end of the career because I mean we'll, we'll all have done it themselves. You play with that older guy who was who was generations before you, and you can still see the that difference in quality. Yeah, that they have compared to maybe you, especially when you're younger, that you can still learn something off. And even from the mistakes maybe they even made in their career, if, if they're if they, if you can sit and chat to them for 10, 15 minutes after a game as well and learn that side of which is the side of football kind of that that youngsters don't learn, you know, what not to do um, in their career is always a good thing. I think he's one of those footballers that comes under the file of cult hero. Mm, okay. <laughs> no? I don't know. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can see, can, yeah, can mate, yeah, as you say, in that era, um, and, and, and those teams, I guess, yeah, maybe you can see the, I'd, I'd say more your Kevin Gallon was more the, the cult hero type figure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't, well, Kevin Gallon's my favourite footballer ever, so it's, it's, it's very sneak Kevin Gallon back in. I think it's hard yeah. to be. A, I, think it, <laughs> I think it's hard to be a cult hero when you've got so many teams. If you know what yeah. I mean. Like, I, cult, like, okay, I, I feel yeah. like I feel like someone like Anelka, for example, is a cult hero. Even though he's got so many clubs, he did uh, he did good things for each of those teams. So I guess you cult hero is if you've done something for yeah. a club. It doesn't matter how many other clubs you've had. I don't know. If you're, yeah. I suppose it's another one. It's a it's a full blown conversation, either, isn't it? Really? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the number of clubs that George Best had, there's a fair few there. I mean, for every Manchester United, there's a Nuneaton Borough and a Hong Kong Rangers. No, but you're you're also talking like when you're talking George Best, you're talking like a player who's who's received by a lot of people as one of the greatest players ever to play the game. Hmm. <laughs> I guess people the cult hero, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's. I'm trying to think. Like, see, I I look at a player like Dark Coit as a cult a cult hero. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm taking it back to Liverpool because what I know best, but he's kind of the cult hero. You know, you'll never go down as like the greatest player to play for the club, but he's just that. I don't know. You know, you've got your local heroes, your Gerard, your Carragher's, who you talk at when you talk the Liverpool one. And, and Coit, for me, Coit will go down as one of my favourite players I've ever played for the club. Yeah. Um, and I, I look at him as the, the cult hero. So again, maybe it just depends on what you feel is the your definition of cult hero and how you look at it, I guess. Yeah, I suppose so. Football opinions, eh? <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move on from the, the cult hero, Steve Claridge, um, and take your second number nine. Well, I'm going from one cult hero to, one cult hero to uh, another. Again, this is anyone who watched football in the 80s and 90s. You might even remember this one, um, Ali, for something he did against you. This is Steve Bull. Steve I hit tumbleweed. Steve Bull. Played for Wolves for the best part of 13 years. I mean, he played for West Brom uh, for about four games, and then they binned him off to Wolverhampton Wanderers, their biggest rivals. And he's their highest scorer of all time but he was a phenomenal player I mean he made it to the Italian 90 squad um, and scored goals for England in, against Scotland one of them um, while a third division player imagine that nowadays yeah, it wouldn't happen would it no no he was a phenomenal player he just like I say the sort of central TV every week uh, on a Sunday afternoon would show 
these games. And, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers are a pretty big team as well. So more often than not, I'd see him on TV most weeks or I'd see him on the sort of local news roundups as well. But he was constantly there, game after game after game, scoring, scoring, scoring. And Wolverhampton Wanderers weren't a big team at that time. Um, and they weren't a great team at that time. He had a good partnership with Andy Much. Um, but he joined them when they're in the fourth division. I mean, Wolves went from the first division down to the fourth division, I think, in as many seasons. Um, you know, in four seasons. Um, and he got there and helped them back up. And this is at the time when Molyneux had a grass bank behind one of the goals. And it was a dirty, gritty game. But he managed to sort of pull his way through. He had a big feud with Steve Walsh of Leicester City. Um, they couldn't stand the sight of each other and were often sent off against each other for fighting. But he was a um, scary looking guy, proper shaved skinhead, thick West Country accent, not West Country, uh, West Midlands accent. Um, and uh, he'd be all elbows and feet in your face, but he had a real phenomenal touch as well. You know, he was a very, very good player. Um, if you're of a particular age, you remember Steve Bolt and how good he was. But yeah, third division player in the World Cup squad. 306 goals in 13 seasons for Wolves is remarkable. Yeah. Whatever level you're in. League. Yeah, 250 and 474. But again, not a bad return. he's iconic for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, and it, well, a, go on. As I said, they've got a st- stand named after him. Is that what I've just seen? Yeah, they've got a stand named after him as well. But yeah, 13 games for England, four, uh, four goals for them. That's not bad, is it, for a lower league player? He seems to... He, he got out, like, if you could take out his whole career, he's averaging a goal every two games. Yeah. You know, I mean... It's, you can't argue for much more. Whatever level you're playing, if you've got a striker getting a goal um, every two goal, two games, you're you're laughing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and he was there. He was a big part of their regeneration because, like I say, in the eighties, they went from the first division down to the old division four, so what's now League Two. Um, and he was a big part of them coming back up again. And they, in the early nineties, they were this team that had had a lot of money invested in them by sort of Jack Haywood, and they bought. They bought players like Tony Daly and Steve Corica and people like that, and they were never the best players. Even given that sort of service, he was still putting in those sorts of numbers. Steve Bull was with um, with goals goals scored in return, and Wolves fans just they wouldn't hear they weren't hear a word against him. Yeah, I'm just looking there in the in the eighty seven eighty eight and eighty nine season, he broke the fifty goal barrier like in each season. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's when he got the England caps that you mentioned before. I mean, he's in the third division. Um, I think they won it in the 89 season. But to get 50 goals in all competitions, I mean, they only played... I mean, he basically got a goal a game that season. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just... I mean, whatever level you're playing at, I mean, the talent to have, I mean, it'd be different if you're asking, like, the best player in the world to go down and play third division football, especially in today's game. I mean, you're, you're going to comfortably get that. I mean, but that's like like... In today's game, that's like Ronaldo Messi type level out there. You know, that's just scary. I mean, if you put in those sorts of numbers, you wouldn't stay in the third division for very long these days, would you? Oh, no, you I, I mean, no. that's like Jamie Vardy, isn't it? It's like not as the stats as high, but like what Vardy was doing at the lower leagues, kind of to get poached up to where he is now. That's kind of what Bill, like Steve Bill, would have been at that time. Mm. I mean, that season that I'm talking about when he broke a 50 goal barrier, he got. 40, he got 37 league goals in 40, 46 games. Um, like Leicester, uh, Leicester, Wills only scored 94 goals that season. Mm-hmm. He, he's getting like over a third of their goals in all competitions. Like, just scary. 
He was an extraordinary player. Yeah, I may actually go and look if there's much clips on YouTube and see. see a a I watched yeah. them earlier on today. There's, uh, you can see his top 10 or top 20 goals, uh, and he's commentating on a couple of them. But yeah, he's, he's well worth checking out. Yeah. I mean, Ryan, I'm guessing you're the same as myself and don't know much about the player in general. Nothing apart no. from my very cursory look at, at Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Yeah. And ask, ask your dad, Ryan. I will do, yeah. I'll say, do you know anything about Steve Ball? See what he says. <laughs> I'd like, do you know what? I'd like to hear like Wolves fans talking about him as well. You know, obviously you always hear the best from like the the fans, even the younger ones, because they would have heard like the stories over generations. You know, like that we've both done over our us we have done about our clubs, sort of thing. Mm. It's always the most fun to hear from like a passionate fan about the player as well. Hmm. So. I like that pick. Um, yeah. Just because, uh, yeah, that's that's my favourite pick of yours so far. Good. Just because we're never yeah. going to hear them again. Yeah. <laughs> We've got. Well, I'm sure we're not going to hear about Big Dave again either. But, but I'm going to find Big Dave and get him on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> See if he picks himself. <laughs> oh right. One, one player left. Can we assume that this person's going to be your captain, or are you going to do the captain afterwards? Uh, no, Sammy Hippie is my captain. Oh, okay. I can't just throw it in like that now. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, well. oh. Uh, Ryan, edit, edit that bit out. We'll do it again. No, <laughs> no, no it's all good. It's all good. Right, let's sorry. get this last player done. Right, last player. Um, again, known more for his punditry these days. But, I mean, if you were growing up in the 90s, then this guy was everywhere. And he was a really, really good player. Uh, now, do you know what? He's better than really good. He was just an exceptional player. Um, this is Ian Wright. He nearly made it into my team last time. Um, this is my favourite pick. Is it? Good. I don't yeah. think many people picked him first time round, did they, Ali? On the, um, You're the first person to pick him. Yeah, and I nearly picked him last time round, but I went with Robbie Fowler instead. Um, which is fine. Just so which, <laughs> good. More than but, acceptable. He's a player who has come and overcome an awful amount of... Um, personal circumstances someone once said that nothing good comes from poverty except football and Ian Wright is a great example of that he's uh, yeah, overcame a difficult home life he nearly missed the boat when it came to professional football he I don't think he got signed by Crystal Palace till he was in his early 20s um a few good seasons there got transferred to Arsenal and broke the Arsenal scoring record and I think if Henri hadn't have come along uh, and played for Arsenal that record would still be standing now because it had stood since Herbert Chapman in the 30s I think when Ian Wright broke it but he was a nasty little player to play against. You'd hate playing against him as a centre-half. He'd be in your ear all game, telling you how rubbish you are and how useless you are and what he was going to do to you. And more often than not, he would back it up with what he could do as well because he could do everything. He could shoot from range. He could lob you. He was one-on-one. He was phenomenal as well. And it was the fox in the box that they'd been missing for some time as well. He was just... a incredibly good player and again I think we get into the players like Ian Wright where he's just a pundit on match of the day but he was so much more than that he was just an incredibly good player Peter Schmeichel won't agree though yeah mm. <laughs> 22 year old to get signed as a professional footballer yeah like, and, and what world is that going to happen in today's game when you see 10 year olds getting signed for you know hundreds of thousands of pounds bribes to parents and you know, clubs securing their services where they can't play football for their, their schools and that, you know, just kind of ruining, ruining football for a lot of youngsters. 
Um, and then you've got this 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 London-born, you know, black player. So it was obviously it was in that time where they were all, you know, they, they wouldn't have got many opportunities in the the background that Ian Wright had come from um, to fight through. Um, it's just story of Ian Wright's career is just phenomenal. You're yeah. right there. Do you know what? We might have missed it. I mean, I, I might not be seeing this properly being a, a white man, but imagine if I was a young black kid in London in the early 90s and you've got this guy coming along, this brash, gobby footballer who backs up everything he says with loads and loads of goals and he's come from a background similar to me. I'd be really, really into him. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I, mean, like, I don't want to go down, obviously, the race route too much, but right, look at the way the British media portray, like, Sterling in the media in, in today's game. Now, can you imagine, like, Sterling's, like, from everything I've heard, it's actually quite a humble guy. Ian Wright wasn't. You know, he was that, because he had so little, you know, he had that really arrogant, mouthy, you know, brass, like, personality about him. Mm. Um, so can you imagine what the media would have done to him had it been in today's game? So, I mean, to fight through all that, I mean, people will look at it in a negative way, but he's done what he's had to do to survive and then to get... I mean, one of the most touching videos I've ever seen by a footballer is that one where Ian Wright meets his old teacher. Yes. Who he had thought he'd passed away, obviously, a few years before, and Ian Wright just starts crying um, and just talking about how much that you know this guy meant to him. And in a time where, obviously racial issues in, in the in the mid eighties were, were quite prominent I'd imagine in London. Um for for a white teacher to take a such soft spot for this, you know, this young black talented man and to give him the support and be an influential figure in, in his life um is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But he was a nasty bugger as well. I mean Stevie Grizovich <laughs> as well. Stevie Grizovich's splattered nose would be able to tell you that. Yeah, no, but again, it's not out of place in that time. You know, it's not like no, you're right. It's not like like if he had done that in today's game, you'd be seen as a nasty player. You do it back then; it's just part and parcel of the game. Yeah, um, and mean, he's a I, very good he's a very good pundit as well now, isn't he? You listen to a match of the day, and you listen to him on six oh six. He's improved an awful lot as a pundit. Do you know what? 100%. He's just he's honest. Like, yeah, oh, that, that's exactly my point. I was going to make that exact point. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't care. Like, I mean. I, I think people take pundit like people take the opinions of pundits far too often. It's no different to me us free speaking. They're just getting paid to do it. You don't have to agree with the opinion, you don't have to like it. Just, you know, respect it. Like the ones who say stupid things, but well, Ian Wright, like he might not say them like, in the right way sometimes and he's ve- he's very passionate and he's a, what I like about him in like during the Euros and the World Cups, he's he's an England fan and you can see that in him. So as much as it's very cheesy and very corny and you can see why like non-English fans and English supporting fans don't like it, but he's just a fan and he doesn't try to change that. You know, he's a, he's an Arsenal fan, he's and he's a, he's an England fan, and the passion and the honesty just comes about. If he doesn't like it, he'll say it, and he doesn't hide, try to hide behind anything else. He's just a fan, and that's what we want. For me, anyway, that's what I want to hear on TV. Want it to be no different to listening to you guys talk about games at the weekend. You still have your your bias towards certain players and certain teams. Um, but at the end of the day, you're a fan and you're trying to be as honest as you can. Mm. He also gave my little sister an autograph. We waited an hour and a half, two hours for um, Dennis Bergkamp's autograph and he refused it and she got Ian Wrights instead. Is that why Dennis Bergkamp isn't in your team? Sure Fucking you're, sure you're Beavis. Story, yeah. Beavis look <laughs> like weasel. 
But yeah, I just I just like Ian Wright. I mean, he came up to to Celtic for a season. Um, didn't play very often. I think he only played about ten games, maybe. Um, but still, just to see him up here playing, you can still see he had the talent as well. You know, he was just that. I say that fox in the box. He kind of lost the legs a wee bit mm. um, by then. But um, I mean, those Arsenal years, as you say, he was just that piece of the puzzle. And I mean, I think the most game he's for me that he's most famous for still that that uh, was I think it was that semi final over that final against Man United. You know when it went to the the replay back mm, in the semi final. Semi final, yeah. I mean, I mean that's the game that obviously triggers me the most. That maybe my first even viewing of him watching that on BBC um, and you just seen this this young black guy playing against like you know such a dominant Man United team and he's just kind of like the star player on the pitch yeah Ryan Ian right for you um, I haven't really got anything extra to say that you guys haven't really already covered I think you know I I haven't seen much of his football um, in the past, but what I have seen of it is is obviously someone so, with such raw talent as well, and the fact that he he has overcome. And the the thing I like about Ian Wright is, he, you know, we've talked about the honesty part is is how he's not willing to he, he doesn't want to shy away from that past and stuff. Like that. I think that's also quite important that he, he he does want to address it and say, you know, he wants to. It seems to me like he wants to be that influence as well. Um, and you know, you you look at the fact that. Again, this is not really about him, his actual football, but what he's done. Because he's did he, did he adopt the two Wright Phillips boys? Is that how yeah. it worked? Yeah. And and again, watching him, something that I saw years ago when Sean Wright Phillips was at Chelsea was Ian Wright, how he was supporting both of those and trying to help them push on maybe better footballers as well. Um, it's just and and you know the biggest thing is that when he's watching games like other as an England fan or as an Arsenal fan and the amount of like times you'd watch match of the day Arsenal have been terrible and he'd be there just be like they were rubbish and Alan Sheeran's that trying to you know be more diplomatic he's like no Alan they're rubbish they played rubbish and that's the end of it and that's the type of pun and that's the level of person that he is he doesn't want to be or anything like that and then obviously yeah, on the pitch he was just like I love players like that that just always in, in your ear constantly. I just think it's great shit housery to watch, mm. and that, that's exactly what I want. To, I want to see someone get in their ears, a bit like what Diego Costa did a little bit for his time at Chelsea. You know, I'm just going to keep talking to you, and then eventually you're going to you're going to hit me or something. I'll win a free kick, and you'll be sent off, or something like, that. or I'll score a goal against you, and then rub it in your face. I love players like that because it's just great entertainment. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I agree. They're always going to make the best books as well, aren't they? You know, they're always got a fantastic story to tell. Yeah, they definitely will do. The Ian Wright autobiography. I think he brought one out a long, long time ago, but if another one we'll comes out. Another one soon. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely read it. Uh, can't, yeah, be, can't be any worse than the Jamie Carragher one. That was awful. Yeah, as I say, I've not got time for reading it. If they can bring out an audio one and they do the, they do the talking of it, I'll happily listen to it. Um, and yeah, no, I like that Ian Wright pick. Very talented and very underappreciated. I feel yeah. maybe not from Arsenal fans, but definitely from the outside world. If that's fair to say, you know, it's like I feel like only Arsenal fans kind of give them the appreciation. And even then, they kind of forget because they were quite fortunate for players after that. And obviously, the Invincibles era, and obviously Henri came along, and then kind of every striker in the world was then forgotten about. Um, mm. So I think maybe Ian Wright was kind of just at that wrong time for for anyone. 
it was kind of that crossover era, you know, where the the like the talent at the corners and most of them were obviously strikers as well that had come into the the Premier League that kind of just let the league on on fire. Um, but Ian Wright should definitely mm. go down. It was kind of like that generation changing, like you know when Shearer was coming to the end, and then you had the the Ian Wright and Robbie Fowlers and you know the players of that ilk coming through. It was like that just that different style of forwards that come through. Yeah, Ian Wright had that nasty, as you say, the nasty streak about him. Still at the same time. Well, that's your eleven. It's um, a bit of a, a mix, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> a mix of different abilities in, in that team. Yeah. Um, before we read out your your final team, any honourable mentions you just missed out? Yeah, do you know what? I didn't pick him because I thought I've got too many Liverpool players, but I nearly picked Xavi Alonso. But I thought you're going to you're going to you pick him. Well, so you're gonna... well, that was the whole reason we were doing this podcast because <laughs> so you, you wanted pick, to do it again because yeah, you couldn't miss out on him. Then yeah. you're going to get so many people mention Xavi Alonso, so uh, you know, Rightly not everybody's so. good. Rightly so, yeah. But then you know, you don't want to listen to thirty people talking about Xavi Alonso, do you? Uh, I'll, I'll happily thirty-one. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably you know tune out a little bit, but that's fine. <laughs> like you did for the whole defence. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone oh. else? Uh, Rob, I was trying to think. Rob no. Stevenson, who played right back with you at Six Aside. Or... <laughs> yes, <laughs> he was a great defender. <laughs> no, mate, it was just Xavier Lonzo. I was, trying to, I was thinking, should I shoehorn him in? But uh, but no, I, I, I went with uh, Matt Letizia instead. So I know I sort of we, we sort of skipped over it slightly, but also you picked Sammy Hippier as your captain. Mm. Any any reason why he was the captain out of everyone you had? Because he's Sammy Hippier. Because there you go. <laughs> that's that's the one. No explanation needed. I, my, my my only answer back to that was you picked Jamie Carragher for the reasons you did, but didn't have his captain. So I now struggle to see what he brings to the team. So he's not your captain in the defence because <laughs> he's not even the leader at the back. <laughs> uh, passion, passion. Who doesn't want to see? I mean, even Mrs. Carragher would like to see a passionate Jamie Carragher, wouldn't she? <laughs> yeah. So with Sky for the millions they're paying him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a suggestion for you though, Chris. Actually, with 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 the news of you know Jamie Carragher maybe linked to the whole Rafa exit, mm. you could also you could pivot this team into a three-four-three. To then get Xavi Alonso in, and you put Alonso in that defensive midfield slash defensive playmaker. Oh, I, that... no! Still Jamie. Still Jamie. Still Jamie. Damn. I made my bed. I'll line it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so for final for the official team, then we've got Big Dave in goal, Jamie Carragher at right back, Daniel Agar and Sammy Hippier as your centre halves, John Anarisa at left back. Georgios Karagounis, Paul Merson and Matt Letizia as your team number 10s, because <laughs> we don't play, <laughs> we set them at fielders in this team. Um, and then we have Steve Claridge, Steve Bull and Ian Wright as your strikers. That's the ones. It's a, it's a very unbalanced team um, with some wonderful players, some really interesting players. And then out of the right left wing players. I like that. Yeah. It's, a nice, it's a nice mix in a way. I mean, they're never I mean, going to outscore the opponents. Yeah, they're never going to win the league, but you'd love to watch them. Yeah. 
You'd score a lot of goals. Daniel yeah. Agar is genuinely the most important player in this team because if he doesn't walk forward with the ball, you are bugger. <laughs> because there's about a 60-yard gap between your centre-halves and your <laughs> midfielders. So um, Agar is massively important. And Risa getting down the wing because you have no wide players whatsoever. So if Risa doesn't get down the wing because your right-back ain't going forward, <laughs> you're basically playing Three centre half, no, two centre halves. Daniel Agar is a defensive midfielder, really. John Arrieta <laughs> playing as the only winger. Three, three number tens, and then your three strikers are going to have to kind of play over to the right, so Risa can get right down that left hand side. Risa is going to be put. Yeah, Reese is going to be able to put the ball into the box, and then there'll be six people trying. <laughs> Tactics have never been my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, that's good. Um, I like that. It's it's you've always definitely been the one to bring the out of the blue random players to the eleven pieces of me show, and yeah, kind of what is, it is why we did it. Yeah, Big Dave <laughs> is a new one. That's taking it to a new level. Um, and going forward, can we please limit the amateur Sunday league players? Because <laughs> um, we genuinely can't add anything to the conversation. So you better have a hell of a lot to say about the player. <laughs> um, but, no, I like that. So thank you very much for coming on again, Chris. I'm sorry it's taken so long to get you back on. Hey, no, thank you. It's been an absolute hoot. Um, you're the only player who does any research for this, so we have to give you all the praise in the world because <laughs> even me and Ryan don't do any. Um, any plugs for you coming up and tell the listeners where to find you? Well, look, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CHingham77, but we're all part of the Man on the Post network, which is at Man on the Post. Um, we've got an extra time show this Friday, haven't we, Ryan? Yes. Good. Because <laughs> I've already had one person drop out. Um, and you can follow us all at Man on the Post uh, to get all our podcasts coming from there, plus the unusual efforts uh, people as well. So give those a, a follow. See, this is why I like coming on, Chris, because you've done my plugs. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> before we say goodbye, any plugs for yourself? Or has Chris covered yours as well? Uh, well, I've pretty much covered mine, but I mean, people can follow me on Twitter and tell me how they also don't think that John Terry is the best centre-back in the Premier League. Uh, at the Ryan Goodman on Twitter. And you can get me at Ali Thompson 84 I think. I get it wrong every week on Ring the Bell. Um, and R- uh, Ross, who is our fearless leader at Man in the Post has just recorded episode 150 of Ring the Bell as well um, so check over to there if you're into your wrestling stuff um, but apart from that anything else for you guys just now? No No Well we will say goodbye and then hopefully we will be back regularly um, if I can coerce Ryan to give me an hour of his time every week um, and we'll be back next week so goodbye from me and goodbye from Ryan and goodbye from Chris See you. See you.